Welcome to the Field Goals Podcast. I'm Brandon Schultz, and the Seahawks are coming off a dramatic overtime win, 40-34 to over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And here to talk to me about it, Buccaneers fan Anthony Knockreiner. Anthony, it's a it's a day after the loss for you, a win for the Seahawks. How how are you processing it so far? I mean, I, I'll say this: I think uh, Tampa Bay played extremely well. I mean, I know Jameis Winston has that one late turnover, uh, but I, I'll take I, I take that. I mean, Seattle, you guys are sitting at uh, seven and two right now. Obviously, Tampa Bay two and six, pretty much I think out of the postseason picture. But I mean, you wanted to see some improvement and to see the turnovers stop. Obviously, it's tough to have no turnovers in a game, but I thought Jameis played well. I thought the game plan was well executed. I just think defensively, this falls on the defense for Tampa Bay, just from a Tampa perspective, it's on the secondary, it's on the defense. Russell Wilson, again, solidifying his MVP resume. Uh, again, a legend. It was really cool to see him up close. Uh, I'm, I'm okay with it because, one, I got to see a great game. So, one, thanks to for you, Brandon, for bringing me along. That was a lot of fun to see this in person because that was a great game. And, you know, at the end of the day, if Tampa Bay maybe gets the ball to start the overtime period, uh, maybe they go down and score because I'll tell you what, that was probably the most concerning thing for both of us, Brandon. Yeah. Our defense is not very good. Yeah, and uh, we will definitely get to that. But I, I do want to start with uh, this idea of because you kind of I felt like you prepared any Seahawks fans who listen to this podcast for exactly what to expect. And you said that the, the Bucks would probably get out to an early lead and they did. They got up 21 to seven. And they nearly had that score going into halftime. They give up a late touchdown right before the half. But it it felt like Tampa had control of the game at halftime. You said to expect that. And so at what point in the game were you thinking, you know, the the shoe's about to drop or, you know, or, or when do you start to get concerned? I get concerned in the second half because there's always something. You look at some of the games that Tampa Bay has been in. Uh, I go back. You look, Tampa Bay was leading, I believe, against San Francisco in week one. Tampa Bay was leading against New York. I believe they had a 28-7 to lead at halftime and still lost that football game. The second half has been so treacherous for Tampa Bay because of turnovers or because the defense just isn't playing well. Now, obviously, Carlton Davis went out early in that football game yesterday for Tampa Bay. Some may think that Carlton Davis is the best cover corner. Uh, but as we saw in the second half, I mean, Jamel Dean was covering DK Metcalf. They, they said even afterwards, after the game, that the secondary for Tampa Bay was exhausted because they were playing so much man. And uh, DK Metcalf had you know, a couple of big catches, the 53-yard touchdown, obviously, to give Seattle the lead. And then at the same time, uh, you talk about the one that sets him up real close to the end zone in overtime as well. So I think the fact that, uh, uh, you know, that second half has just been treacherous because and at the same time too, Tampa Bay's second half, they scored 10 points or sorry, 13 points in the second half where they scored 21 in the second. So the offense slowed down a little bit too. They were bogged down. They had some issues. They had some penalties. We, we talked about the one turnover that Donovan Smith actually caused where Jameis Winston loses the football. If you look back, it was actually uh, Donovan Smith's uh, yeah, I believe elbow or hand that hits the elbow of Jameis Winston, and that's what causes the ball to go loose. So the second half has just been really, really bad. And I, I you know, it's funny sometimes my predictions don't come true. I'm really kind of surprised the way I described it is actually the way it happened. It helped me out because I, I wasn't <laughs> as worried going into that second half as maybe as other Seahawks fans were. Because I think just the common perception is for anybody who were to come across this game, they go, Oh yeah, the Bucks are two and five. The Seahawks are six and two. You know, the, the Seahawks should be able to run away with this game, 
But mm-hmm. any any person who has watched to see what the Tampa Bay Bucks have done so far this season and the kind of quarterback Jameis Winston is, and, and we even talked about it going into this game, you know, when when Jameis Winston is the turnover machine, things go badly for the Bucks in the games where he is good, then uh, the Tampa gets the win. And I kind of feel like we got good Jameis in this game because and and I'm, you know, obviously not watching them week to week, but we saw Jameis Winston uh, throw for 335 yards, complete 29 passes on 44 attempts. And Mike Evans seemed like he was wide open every time he looked his direction. Well, that was the interesting thing about it was, is we really did have good Jameis. And again, I don't entirely blame that one turnover he had, which was a fumble on him because obviously, you know, that's just a bad bounce of the gods of football because your left tackle hits you in the elbow and that causes the ball to go loose. That's just bad luck in my opinion, just a bad bounce. And that seems to be the way the season has really gone for Tampa Bay this year. But you're right. Jameis Winston played well. And I'm a little surprised too, because I told you last week, if, if it was Jameis having to throw the ball 45 to 50 times, I thought that just increases the amount of chances for turnovers that Jameis Winston could have. And he didn't throw any interceptions last yesterday. He looked for his spots. He got his spots. He got where he wanted. Mike Evans obviously helps when you get that guy uh, really going. And at the same time, too, I thought that was this was a big key too. Ronald Jones in the running game for Tampa Bay. While he only had 67 yards uh, running the football. It was a key moments when he ran the football and picked up some first downs. Obviously, he got the opening touchdown run, uh, but it did feel like they had some success. Maybe not in the statistical category where you'd call over 100 yards, but it felt like, to me, Ronald Jones really helped out Jameis Winston, and that took some pressure off of him, even though he did throw for 44 times. Well, you know, you you talk about Jameis not having any interceptions, but he sure came close to one on that second touchdown by the Bucks. He's throwing to Mike Evans. Marquise Blair is there. He gets his hands on the football. It ends up bouncing up in the air. And Perryman comes down with the touchdown just off of off of all the bounces. That, that had to be one of the most frustrating plays I know for me. I was one of the most exciting ones for me because I'll tell you what, I experienced everything because I'm sure you were the same way. It looked like excitement. Oh, it's going to be picked by Seattle where I'm feeling the uh, frustration. And then all of a sudden here comes Perriman out of nowhere, catches the football and it's a touchdown Tampa Bay. And all of a sudden, you know, as I was sitting next to you, I, I can't remember if I shot up or not. I might have shot up because that was incredible. I've never seen that before. And at the same time, I'm not, and I told you after the play, even, I'm not exactly sure that was probably the way it should have been because Perryman probably shouldn't have been in the area considering (laughs) there are already two Bucks wide receivers near that sideline and in the end zone there. Credit to him for being in the right place, but it's those types of plays that can really have a negative impact on your defense. And we saw after that, you know, they gave up another touchdown and the Bucks were up 21 to seven. And at that point, it really felt like Tampa had control of the game and the Seahawks offense wasn't moving. And uh, it, it really, you know, they really did need that fumble to kind of get back in the game, even though it was only a field goal that re- resulted from that Jameis Winston fumble. I uh, think Sheem Green was the one who picked it up and ends up getting caught from behind it. It kind of saved uh, four points. For the Bucks, but uh, you know that's. Uh, I felt like the Seahawks left so many points out on the board. Whether it was the first missed field goal, whether it was the getting tackled from behind, having to settle for a field goal off of the Jameis Winston fumble, yeah, at the end of the game you had and you had the missed uh, extra point attempt. Even when the the Seahawks were uh, catching up, they they got within eight points 
of the Bucks when it was 21-13, getting toward the end of the, the first half. I mean, you guys did leave a lot of points on the board there, and so that's part of it, too. I would agree with that. I think Tampa Bay defensively, uh, they got bailed out, and especially with some of those field goals because essentially, you think about it, uh, you guys hit those field goals. You hit that extra point. That's seven points. We're not going to overtime. It does put, I think I think I agree with you, it just put a lot of, uh, it kind of sinks that feeling, too, because I think with the defense, especially when you talk about it, and again, coming from Tampa Bay's perspective, we settled for two field goals. The offense scored one touchdown, and that was in the fourth quarter, and that was a run that gave us the tie late in the game, which gave us a lot of confidence. But the defense did, you know, which is kind of funny, the defense did spend a lot of time on the field, I felt like, in that second half, and that's what kind of led to the exhaustion. Even though when you look at the stats, time of possession, Tembe did have the edge in time of possession, which did surprise me a little bit. Well, that uh, first quarter, I, I think they had the, the ball for 10 minutes out of the 15 in that first quarter. <laughs> I, and I think you're right, because obviously after the first quarter, we're talking 14-7, and they were good long drives. It wasn't uh, There were some like intermediate plays that were made, but it wasn't big chunk plays uh, that was really beating the Seahawks' defense in that first half. Yeah, 66 yards on the first drive by the Bucks. They did have to punt on that second drive, but uh, the third drive, another 53-yard drive. Um, and then, you know, there was another 62-yard drive that led to the touchdown. That was the third touchdown of the game. So, yeah, uh, 50, 60-plus-yard drives uh, each time. And uh, coming off that missed field goal to get another touchdown. I, The thing that was disappointing to me going into this game was I, I looked at the Seahawks' red zone defense. And it's actually been pretty good so far this season. The Bucks were 4-for-4 four four in red zone efficiency in this game. And... It, I'd like to have seen the Bucks leave more points on the field, but instead it was just that one missed field goal right at the end of the first half. Yeah, I mean, I was going to say that was a surprising part too because when Tampa Bay has gotten down there, Jameis is that's where he's had some of his turnovers when the field has gotten shorter. So that you would have thought that there might be some opportunities. Now, granted, had Bashar Perriman not come up with that catch, uh, you know, you guys come up with the interception. That's a totally different, totally different. Or even a field goal. Box. I think that was on a third down play too. Yeah, you think you're right. And so it would have definitely changed things uh, for Tampa Bay. And that was, I think this also goes back to the fact that Mike Evans was just so key because, it, you know, you think about it, when you did have some third downs, I don't have the numbers in front of me. I'd love to know what Mike Evans was on third down because it felt like he was extending drives. When Jameis needed a play and needed to get some yards to get a first down on third down, it felt like he was going to Mike Evans quite a bit. I, I at least can count of it four Three to four times in yesterday's game, it was third down that I know of and remember that Jameis went to Mike and Mike made made some pretty improbable catches and then found himself with a first down for Tampa Bay. Well, it got to the point to where I was just watching Mike Evans when it was third down to see if the ball was going to go his direction. Tampa finishes six of 14, so just 43% on third down, but Seahawks terrible. Two of eight in their third down efficiency. Uh, the the Bucks did get the one, for, pick up the one fourth down. It, uh, it Definitely was not a good day for the Seahawks defense, particularly giving up 34 points, but they did have the offense and Russell Wilson to bail them out. Holy smokes. What a day from Russell Wilson, 378 passing yards, five touchdowns on the day. He had the 153 yard touchdown to DK Metcalf, 133 quarterback rating. Tyler Lockett has a career day, 13 receptions on 18 targets, 152 yards and two touchdowns. That 
Russell Wilson to Tyler Lockett is special. And I know you can speak to this because you have both of them on your fantasy team. <laughs> I was about to say, Russell Wilson got me 45 points yesterday. <laughs> Tyler Lockett got me round 30 uh, yesterday as well. And I think that's you know, what's funny about that, Brandon, is I feel like Russell Wilson to Tyler Lockett is one of the more underrated quarterback wide receiver duos. And I think that's, you know, obviously yesterday with the game and performance that they have and the way Russell Wilson's playing right now, obviously at an MVP caliber level, uh, I, I think that these guys need to get more press. They need to get more uh, time in the spotlight because I think they are one of the best wide receiver quarterback duos. I mean, I mean, Russell Wilson missed Tyler Lockett and I don't think you would ever see it, you know, nine times out of 10, this was the miss uh, for Russell Wilson because Tyler Lockett was open. It was just a, a little bit of an overthrown ball, uh, but more times than not, I kept seeing those what looked like long, deep drag routes. Tyler Lockett just has the speed to get by the Bucks defender, and Russell Wilson would just drop it right in, usually for a first down in the case where he threw it and it was incomplete. Uh, and I think that was where Seattle had to settle for a field goal, and that was the first missed field goal of the game. Uh, Tyler Lockett would have ran into the end zone. Russell Wilson rolls out to the right, Tyler Lockett wide open, and Russ just barely overthrows him. And then that drive ends up stalling out because he throws it toward DK Metcalf, and, and Metcalf isn't able to get that second foot down. And and yeah, that's what stalled that drive and led to the first Jason Myers miss, the the one that he went wide left. And, but going toward that end zone, it was not good. And because uh, <laughs> he missed wide left, then he misses wide right at the last kick of the game to to seal the game. And uh, gosh, that was that was awfully close. I I wonder when the Bucks drove down and scored the final touchdown to tie it up at thirty four. Um, or to be within one point, you know, they had the opportunity to, to go for the extra point, to go for the two point conversion. And even before the bucks got down to that range, I was asking you, do the bucks go for a two point conversion at the end of the game, trying to just finish off the game while on the road in Seattle. And instead they opted to kick the extra point and tie it up. I was, and I told, as I told you, I said, no, I had no hesitation. You do not go for the two point conversion here and try and win this thing now. Now, granted, at the same time, offensively, Tampa Bay could have just gone to Mike Evans and maybe that's a two point conversion and you get it. Um, but I, the way I thought about it was, is okay, first off, don't take that chance. Matt Gay has been pretty good. You're going into that closed in part of the field, take the extra point play for overtime, hope, I mean, because Tampa Bay was the visiting team. You got the choice. You got a 50-50 chance of getting the football back to start the second half. Unfortunately, whoever was the captain uh, lost the coin toss. And <laughs> you, you get your offense back out on the field, and you've shown that your offense can move the football against this Seahawks defense. And so I thought that it was the right call. You know, tie it up, go to OT. I, you know, the funny part is, is Adam, and I think we were discussing with some Seahawks fans after the game too, I'm not sure if Seattle was just letting Tampa Bay score or maybe Tampa Bay should have at least just maybe ran, try to run one more play, run some more time off. Uh, so that way they didn't give Russell Wilson that opportunity. Now it didn't end up costing them obviously, but I'll tell you what, uh, Russell Wilson was able to get the Seahawks down there in 46 seconds for a chance to win the game. Yeah. And that was just kind of an interesting series too, because Tampa was driving down and that was a, it was just outside of the two minutes that Pete Carroll decided to challenge a pass interference call <laughs> and kind of waste one of his timeouts going. He had two timeouts going into those final two minutes. Now he was asked after the game, 
why he chose to do that. And he said, well, I, I didn't, I ended, we ended up not needing one of those. <laughs> we ended up not needing the timeout. So it didn't really matter, but I, that could have given them an option of where to go, maybe get a little closer, throw toward the middle of the field and have an even closer attempt for Myers at the end of the game, rather than kicking from 40 yards. They could have, you know, th- that could have come in, could have been a very valuable timeout uh, to, you know, even get it. Cause inside of 40, uh, Myers had both of his kicks. Yeah, I was going to say, it was interesting that he decided to go there. Again, You, I mean, I remember looking at the replay. It did look like Mike maybe extended his arm. Obviously, mm-hmm. it's a lot tougher for us being in the game because the replays, they're not where we're not seeing him as close and clearly. Uh, but I... <laughs> It was interesting because I didn't think why would you why would you go for that at that particular time and I agree with you why would you waste one of your timeouts there and at the same time too uh, you might as well just call timeout so that way you could have adjusted your defense because Mike Evans was again having his way and I think later that series Mike Evans and they weren't he didn't get quite to the end zone but he got to the one and it looked like a slant route and it was a miscommunication by the Seahawks defense where Mike Evans was all by himself. He just caught it. He could have ran into the end zone himself, but tried to juke the the, the, the Seahawks defender, couldn't do it, uh, and got to the one. Yeah, it was 341 left on the clock when Seattle tried to, to make that challenge. So just kind of a strange moment. But uh, I want to come back, and I want to talk a little bit more about the overtime and get into a little bit more of this game. Talking to Anthony Knockreiner of KGEZ. He and I went out to the game. Anthony being a Bucks fan, I figured, you know, when is the next chance, Anthony, that you're going to have a, an opportunity to, to go to the clink, watch your home team? I think it would have been a better thing for me to bring you to the New Orleans game, probably, because then you could have also uh, cheered for the Seahawks. But, uh, you know, th- this was all right, too. I was going to say, I definitely would have cheered for the Seahawks uh, when you guys face the rest of the NFC South. Uh, I know how much you dislike the Saints, so I I just (laughs) that would have that would have been the one to go to for sure. Oh, absolutely. And uh, maybe I would have brought that good weather with me, too. I mean, that was a part of it. We had good weather yesterday in Seattle. It was actually really nice, sunny and all that stuff. And like I said, the first time for the first time the season, we had decent weather at a a Seahawks football game. (laughs) I know coming in November, who would have thought, right? Um. I will say this as a Bucks fan, you know, uh, I'm the funny part is, is I'm going to a Bucks game later this year when they're in Raymond James, when I get to go home and go see my family, uh, my dad has season tickets. So we're going to go to that game, but getting a chance to go to a different stadium and CenturyLink's been on my bucket list to go to just because between you guys in the, in the fans in Kansas city at Arrowhead, it's always a battle about which stadium is the loudest and to kind of experience that because again, all stadiums get loud, but not to the point where you know the, the the noise that comes from CenturyLink or the noise that comes from Arrowhead because Arrowhead's on my bucket list too. Mm, mm-hmm. But I will say this: if anyone tells me that you know the noise is artificial or it's not that loud at CenturyLink Field, I mean uh, they're completely wrong. They've never <laughs> been there because I, it felt like to me like I'm like because I wanted to experience that. Like how truly loud is it there? And I walked away. I'm like, yep, that is extremely loud. I felt like the ringing was already starting. Uh, and, you know, I had to be really close to you just to even say anything, especially on those third down plays when the Seahawks defense was on the field and the Bucks offense was out. You guys got loud. So this was a really cool opportunity. Uh, I do enjoy going to some road uh, road stadiums and, and seeing the Bucks, even though I know I'm going to get heckled there. 
The Seahawks fans that were around us were great. Uh, they didn't give me too hard a time about it, but uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun to experience CenturyLink and and just see that place. And at the same time, you know, the funny part was, and we didn't talk about this last week, Brandon. We're talking about two teams that opened up the same year, the expansion teams in 1976. You know, and that's pretty cool for me. I've been to, you know, 1976, the two teams that ex- that were open to expansion. I've now been in Seattle Stadium and obviously I've been in Raymond James. Yeah. And, and just like in that opening year in in 76, the Seahawks came out with the win. So it uh, <laughs> nice little bookend uh, on the history right now. So we, we got to make sure we don't screw that up. Uh, but getting to the overtime. You know, one of the things we got to see an amazing game and, and yeah, I know we always uh, kind of wring our hands about the idea of making sure we, we blow out bad teams rather than just get by. And I think that with that Bruce Arians offense and with Jameis playing the game that he did, it, it helped it turn into an exciting game. And I just like the fact that it gave us an opportunity in that overtime win uh, to unleash our secret weapon, Jacob Hollister. Yeah, I was going to say, where are you guys keeping him? I had no, <laughs> guys, you, no idea you guys had him uh, in this game. Two touchdowns as well. He had, obviously, the game winner. Uh, granted, you know, at the, <laughs> for a moment there, it looked like we weren't sure if uh, Hollister had actually gotten in. Yeah. Uh, uh, it did get interesting late there because I was like, are they really going to bring everyone back out on the field for this? From <laughs> half, half of the yard? Bucks team was already in the locker room by the time they made the decision to uh, that it was saying. a touchdown. <laughs> <laughs> I saw guys coming back from the Bucks tunnel. And it was like, yeah, you guys got it. We, we, you may have to go back out there. Um, yeah, that would have been really, really weird. But, uh, you know, it just goes back to the fact that, you know, over time, you guys needed one drive. You didn't put it in the hands of your kicker. You didn't settle. You just went down the field. DK Metcalf has a big play. Tyler Lockett, I believe, got involved on that drive as well. Uh, all the key cogs for the Seahawks offense played a role in that drive. And Tampa Bay's defense, I think, it's kind of similar when you think about it back to the AFC championship game last year. Uh, you know, the chief's defense was just exhausted trying to cover new England and you knew whoever's defense was out on the field first, you were probably going to need a turnover in order to stop that team from scoring a touchdown. Uh, Tampa Bay's defense was gassed Hollister. I mean, and this was the funny thing about that particular play that he scores on. I don't know what the Bucks' safety is doing sitting three to four yards into the end zone <laughs> when he's sitting on that route as he sees Hollister who ran it to about the five yard line and then kind of flattened out. And then he makes the catch and runs it the rest of the way in. I don't know why the Bucks defender wasn't up closer than that, because at the very least you stop Hollister at the five. Again, your chances of stopping the Seahawks offense, I think from the five yard line are pretty slim uh, and Tampa Bay hadn't shown that they were going to, uh, but Hollister did a nice job. And uh, yeah, you got, we, we had no answer for him. And like I said, it just goes back to Tampa Bay's defense didn't have an answer for anybody, uh, whether it was DK, Tyler, Hollister, Carson, even to a degree, they just didn't have an answer for anyone. Yeah, Carson had the long run. I think it must have been his second longest run of his career. I think he had a, a 61-yarder last year, and then he has the 59-yarder against the Bucks, and the ball comes out toward the end of the run. He has two fumbles on the day, so kind of a, a down day between Chris Carson and Jason Myers, uh, kind of some rough moments, but at least Carson did make up for it for the amount of uh, yardage that he gained on the ground for the day. DK Metcalf, I just have to go back to that overtime drive because one of the things that watching back on that game, 
That was a third down and six play. And Russell Wilson is going deep left to the sideline to DK Metcalf. If you don't, if you don't make that play on third and six and throwing deep, but a, you know, a relatively low percentage play rather than trying to throw toward the sideline, get a first down. They're at the 35. That's a 52-yard field goal. And I don't know if I want to be sending out Jason Myers after he missed a 40-yarder going that direction to go out and attempt a 52-yarder to to try and win the game. Because if you miss it, then you give the Bucks a short field. That play it was so clutch uh, to, for, for him to go to Metcalf and pick up the, the big 29-yard play on that third and six. I don't know if I asked you this, but I was thinking this because I'm just like, I don't think you guys even attempt a field goal from that far. I think you play field position and you try and stand base offense to go the length of the field, which in the second half they had trouble doing. Maybe that's exactly why the Seahawks are going for it deep on third and six, just knowing that they're going to go for it on fourth down in that position because being at the 35 and, and, you know, having to go make the bucks go 65 yards versus, you know, potentially missing a field goal and, and having that much shorter of a field, I, I bet they would have gone for it on fourth down there. Uh, well, maybe, I mean, it's, it, it, it's interesting. I mean, unless you, I guess Pete, he's one of those guys too, that wouldn't be uh, afraid necessarily to have Dixon just try and pin him deep and make Jameis go the length of the field either. Well, I was going to say, I think that would have been the, the, the smart move because, I mean, you chances are Tambay does move the football, but at worst, what, to midfield before you guys lock it down? Uh, I, I think that, you know, for Tampa Bay, I, I think you guys would have been just fine. It would have just been a field position battle. But at the same time, too, let, let's face it, I think Russell Wilson, and it was funny because you and I were watching this during pregame, Russell was making those throws to DK in the pregame. Yeah. And so he executed it well, and those were nice balls in the pregame. That was a nice ball on that play. And I think the other key about it, too, and I said this to you before we went to overtime, because uh, the Bucks secondary had, you know, was without Carlton Davis. Uh, Dean, I don't think who's played a ton this season, was in and was trying to guard Metcalf. He was the one that got burned by Metcalf on the 53-yarder. I think Russell Wilson knew, hey, this guy's on him. I'm going to him because I've got a high percentage chance that, he, that DK's going to make the catch. And that's exactly what happened. On the day, he finishes 123 yards on just six catches, so a 20-yard average, has the 53-yard touchdown, uh, a solid day for DK Metcalf. So, I, so I'm so i glad we've we've decided that Russell Wilson's top two targets, it's going to be interesting to see how they work Josh Gordon in uh, with getting him into practice this next week and if he ends up being kind of a, a potential number three guy for, for Wilson to throw to. Just another big body that uh, that I think you guys can definitely utilize. The question is, though, for the Seahawks and Pete Carroll, because this feels like, again, another you know project for Pete Carroll to try and get him on the field, because that's been the hardest part is getting Gordon on the field and playing football. And yeah. we'll see if, if that happens this time around. Obviously, uh, you know, I'm very curious to see how you guys do this as well, because I feel like Gordon and, and, and kind of Metcalf are similar receivers, big body receivers. Obviously, Gordon can go across the middle. He does have some unique speed, uh, maybe not as fast. I don't know if he's as fast as Tyler Lockett, obviously, but you guys have a receiving core now three deep where obviously you have Luke Wilson, in the tight end position. I think Gordon kind of makes up for that loss because when you guys don't have Disley, that hurts because mm-hmm. that was your third option, essentially. DK is really improving. Now with Gordon, I think it gets really interesting uh, to how you guys fit him in. But I'm even more curious because there was reports out yesterday that Russell Wilson wanted Antonio Brown and that you guys did your homework both on Brown and Gordon and you guys yeah. with Gordon instead. 
Russell Wilson, I, I feel like he lobbies for, he's just such a positive guy that he wants everything to work out well for everybody. And, and probably saw that, uh, you know, with Antonio Brown being out there and available, that that would just be, you know, everything would be sunshine and rainbows if he came to Seattle. But, uh, you have to, you have to look at the history with Antonio Brown and, the Seahawks do their due diligence with with every player out there, so it doesn't surprise me to to know that they actually thought about it and, and potentially considered it. I don't know how much consideration they gave it, but uh, yeah, the Gordon one is interesting to me. I think it does give them an option over the middle now with Disley being gone. It just that seems to be something that they're missing out on, and and maybe Gordon can now be that guy for Wilson. All I know is your guys' offense is dangerous. Uh, I don't know where you guys rank after this game in terms of all the you know passing and rushing and all that. Yeah, first in yards, I believe. Since oh, I, Hawk Blogger pointed it out on Twitter. Since week two, the Seahawks are first in passing yards and second in another passing stat. Yeah, so you, they're up there. You guys have an offense that I think can definitely win the Super Bowl. I think you guys have an offense that definitely can. Uh, handle itself. The question will become, do you have enough defense to either get you some turnovers or when you need them to get key stops late? Because as we know, when we were talking about this on the way home last night, uh, you guys have a tough schedule over the next couple of weeks. You've got you, your only slouch game maybe is the Arizona game. Otherwise, right now, you're facing teams that are deep in the playoff hunt. Yeah, I think every other team probably has a winning record apart from Arizona. So it's it's going to be interesting. Give us a preview, Anthony, with the Seahawks going up against the San Francisco 49ers <laughs> in San Francisco on Monday night. Where would you where are you going to go with your pick for next Monday? I think I'm still going to go with the Seattle Seahawks, and that's not because I'm on the Field Goals podcast with you, Brandon. <laughs> I really do think that Seattle has a very good football team. I'm still not sold on the 49ers right now. Uh, again, they, they were taken to the wire 28, 25 against the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, the defense for San Francisco is obviously playing extremely well, but I don't think San Francisco has quite faced a quarterback like Russell Wilson. And now the weapons that the Seahawks have, obviously with guys like Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf. I think the biggest question obviously too, is, because this, we didn't talk about this yesterday much, but Tampa did get pressure on Russell Wilson early in that first half, which did cause some problems. Obviously, right. we know what Nick Bosa is doing for the San Francisco 49ers. We know how tough that defensive line is. So that's got to be an upgrade uh, for you guys. Obviously, that could be some real problems. But I really do like Seattle. Again, this is just a good football team. They have found themselves in so many different and unique situations. You look at this one. You look at the close games they've won this season. Again, they've only lost to Baltimore, who just knocked off the Patriots. They've lost to the Saints, who look like a really good football team. Those are two really, really good football teams. And I think the fact that uh, Seattle has won a lot of different ways is only going to add to the experience that they need to take down, I think, the San Francisco 49ers. I think we see it back-to-back. New England went down first. I think San Francisco goes down next week. Ooh, I like it. That's a, that's a, this is a good spot to end it on, Anthony. Uh, really, really appreciate you tagging along with me to the game. I'm glad we got to have a good time. I'm glad it uh, was a good game for you. I, it would have kind of stunk if I brought you out there for a blowout. So, you know, it, it just worked out for the both of us and our particular fandoms in this game. So uh, thanks for coming along. And we'll talk to you about this game coming up later on this week on the Knock on Sports and, and preview the game as well for the, the Monday night game against the 49ers. 
Brandon, really appreciate it as always, man. I can't say thank you enough for bringing me along. It was a ton of fun to be in Seattle. It was a ton of fun to be there at CenturyLink. And like I said, I, I said this afterwards, that is probably be probably my number one game that I have seen in person. Uh, I've seen quite a few Bucks games in person. That one ranks number one, and I know it's a loss, but that was just that atmosphere, the whole experience itself, that puts it number one. A big thanks once again to Anthony Knockreiner for coming on the show and and giving us the perspective from a Bucks fan coming on after a loss too. Always good to talk to him, get his thoughts, and give him a follow on Twitter at the Knock on Sports at the N E C H on Sports. You can check out some of the pictures that he took on game day. So check that out. Check out FieldGoals.com. Subscribe to the show SBNation.com/slash NFL Podcasts for this show as well as any of the other football podcasts on the SB Nation Network. And with that, three in, three out coming up later this week with Clinton Bonner. Hashtag 3I3O at Clinton Bonner on Twitter. And with that, we'll talk to you soon. Go Hawks.